You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. This podcast is designed for authorised financial advisors. If you are not an authorised financial advisor, it's important you understand the content of this podcast may be difficult to follow as it assumes you have the necessary training and qualifications to understand the concepts discussed. The information contained in this podcast is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. From next year, the work test is abolished for making superannuation contributions. Therefore, a client between 67 and 75 is no longer required to declare they've satisfied the work test before they can contribute. As a result, this creates a potential trap for advisors when looking to recommend clients in this age group make personal deductible contributions. I'm Craig Day, here head of the First Tech team, and here to discuss this interesting topic with me is Linda Bruce, one of my senior technical services manager. G'day, Linda. Hey, Craig. How are you? I'm all right. Yourself? Yeah, still got a cold, but I have seen better days. I can't complain. Yes, yes. It's it's kind of a bit that way, isn't it? Everyone's got a cold or COVID <laughs> or according to the, to the news this morning, the flu. So, um, yeah, it's... Maybe a good time to be working back at home, avoid all these these nasty loogies out there. Okay, so let's get stuck into the topic for the day. So we're talking about, you know, the new work test and opportunities, traps and uncertainties is, is the name of the article that you've written for this month's strategic update. So let's start to go through. So from next year, as I said in the intro, the work test is abolished for making superannuation contributions. Therefore, a client between 67 and 75 is no longer required to declare to the fund that they've satisfied that work test before they can contribute. So does this mean the work test is completely gone? It really depends. and depends on what client wants to do without a contribution. If it wants to do nothing, uh, you're quite right. The work test just becomes completely irrelevant. Once the contribution is made, it's a personal contribution, it counts towards non-concessional contribution cap, there's no need to worry about the work test whatsoever. However, if a client has a higher taxable income uh, in the next financial year or uh, onwards, uh, they have a need to claim a tax deduction for the personal contribution they made it to Superfund, then they can only do so in, a, in, a, in addition to the usual rules, uh, they can only do so if they have met the work test instead of um, uh, rather than uh, declaring to the super fund. So the super fund is completely out of the picture from a work test perspective. What the client needs to do is after the end of the financial year, they need to declare to the ATO that during the financial year, at some time during the financial year, they haven't met the work test to be able to claim that amount as a deduction in their tax return. Okay, so as part of that, you need to give the trustee a notice of intent. So does this mean we don't need to lodge the notice of intent anymore? Unfortunately, that's not the case. There has been no change uh, made to the notice of intent. So in addition to the usual rules, that's the lodging, the valid notice of intent. So all the rules as per usual, the client still needs to go to Superfund, lodge notice of intent within the uh, valid time frame, uh, receive mm -hmm. the, uh, the acknowledgement from the Superfund so they can claim that amount in the tax return as a deduction. 
addition, and in addition to all those usual rules, if the client at the age of uh, uh, ma when making the contribution has already reached age 67, then they have to worry about the work test to be able to claim that deduction. Right. So you mentioned that the work test is relevant if the contribution is made on or after the 67th birthday. Yep. But what if a client turns 67 in the middle of the financial year and the contribution is made before the 67th birthday? So here we've got the contribution timing, we've got the notice timing. Do both need to be made before the 67 or is it just the contribution? It's just the... Um so the rules are um, this new age-related work test requirement for deducting the personal contribution um, is only relevant if at the time of making the contribution, the client has turned 67. So in your example, Craig, if client actually made the contribution in the financial year before they turn 67, then they don't have to worry about this additional requirement. Um, they just needed to lodge the very, uh, valid notice of intent, receive the acknowledgement from the fund as usual. Work test is not relevant to people uh, making the contribution before turning 67. Okay, so timing here is really important. So a client's turning 67 will need to claim a personal deduction as a deduction, really should make the contribution before the 67th birthday. And I, if I, I suppose I think about this from a financial advisor's perspective. You might be wanting looking at identifying those clients of yours that are turning 67 in a particular year. Yep and contact them and, and start talking to them. And look, are you intending to make a contribution that you're going to claim a tax deduction for this year? If so, you need to get it in before you turn 67. Yeah, especially the client has no chance to meet the work test or use the work test exemption. That's so important. Okay. Now, you mentioned the work test can be met at any time during the financial year, even if it's after the personal contribution made. Now, that's current from the existing rules, isn't it? So, the new rules are actually providing a little bit more flexibility here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, currently, you have to do the work test before the, you make the contribution. Uh, going forward, that's no longer the case. Um, and this is particularly important if our client is turning age 75 at the beginning of the financial year uh, and, um, uh, and they, um, um, they, ha they have no uh, possibility to meet the work test or use work test exemption before they reach the upper age limit. So that's actually quite an important point, isn't it? I mean, the client still needs to make the personal contribution before the upper age limit. So that's 28 days after the end of the month, they turn 75? Yes, our clients still have to worry about this upper limit. Uh, so give you an example. Let's say Tony. Tony turns 75 on 2nd of July next financial year. So the last day Tony can make a personal contribution is actually 28th of August 2022. Beyond that point, the only contribution Tony can make for himself would be the downsizer contribution. Or if he's working, he can receive super guarantee contributions. But the beauty of the new rules is that Tony can make a contribution to the fund before 28th of August. Let's just say work test is not relevant in this example. Uh, Tony's super balance was already beyond over $300,000. That applies to vast majority of our clients. So work test uh, exemption is out of the picture. But what Tony um, will do, usually Tony will work around the Christmas period 
He doesn't work、um, before Christmas, but he doesn't work around the Christmas period. What he does, he has the best job ever. He plays Santa Claus in the shopping mall and take photos with kids and the family. So he can certainly、uh, satisfy the work test as long as the Christmas period is over. But it's not possible for Tony to meet the work test before Christmas. Now, under the current rules, it's not possible for Tony to contribute because he doesn't meet the work test. He can't contribute, right? But under the new rules, the Tony can contribute to the super fund before the cutoff date. That's twenty eighth of August, and then he just needed to make sure he does at least forty hours of work within a thirty day period around Christmas or any time during the financial year. Then. Uh, he's able to claim a deduction、uh, for the personal contribution made during the financial year. In this case, before twenty eighth of August, even if the contribution was made,、uh, the work test is made、uh, completed after the contribution was made. Okay, I see. So the new rules do actually provide more flexibility. Now, however, what if something happened and Tony? Can't make the work test as planned. So maybe he got to Christmas time and decided he actually wanted to go on a Christmas holiday rather than play Santa Claus, or maybe he was sick. You know, everyone's running around with COVID. I can imagine they don't want Santa Claus with COVID.、Um, in that situation, he's not able to satisfy the work test in that situation. So he's already made the contribution. He's given his notice of intent, but then he can't satisfy the work test later on. What happens? Yeah, that's a trap in the new rules, right? So now we're dealing with a situation Tony can no longer meet the work test、uh, as planned. So as a result, he's not able to claim a personal contribution as a deduction. Now the ATO at their end, they will look at, oh, okay, so none of the personal contribution was successfully claimed as a deduction. Because he's not eligible to do it, so ATO will count that personal contribution amount towards Tony's non-concessional contribution cap. Now, it may not be a big issue if Tony has heaps of non-concessional cap to use, but in that situation, a lot of clients probably have already maximized the non-concessional contribution cap by contributing three hundred thirty thousand NCC before the cutoff date, meaning twenty-eighth of August, to push the last, you know, contribution amount into super. Before they lose that eligibility, in that situation, this new amount supposed to be claimed as a deduction, but Tony now cannot claim it as a deduction due to failing the work test. Will be counting towards the NCC cap, and as a result, Tony will breach the non-concessional cap, and in due course, Tony will have to deal with the ATO's excess non-concessional contributions、uh, determination letter. Oh, okay. So what what you're telling me is, if I make a personal contribution, claim a tax deduction for it, and then I get it denied because I haven't satisfied my work test, they're going to say that's not a concessional contribution anymore, Craig. That's a non-concessional contribution. If I've already maxed out my non-concessional cap, now I've got an excess non-concessional contribution problem.、Yeah. However, that's probably not the worst of the story. So on election night, I was actually watching the footage, and and one of the Pundits came on and said, "And wait, it gets worse before it gets worse." Brian Grable is saying, "So let's just say Tony has a CGT event and his taxable income is two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, right? And then Tony goes and makes a hundred thousand dollar personal contribution 
and you're going, how, hoping to claim a tax structure. How's he going to do that? Well, he's got carry forward cap amounts because, you know, maybe he hasn't been working or, you know, he's got just carry forward cap amounts available to him. So he's looking to claim a tax deduction for $100,000 of personal contribution. Now, Tony also has most likely lodged his notice of intent with the fund and moved everything to a tax-free pension phase, so it commenced an account-based pension. So what happens there? Yeah, let's break it down. What happened? So Tony lodged the notice of intent with the super fund, as he's supposed to do. The moment the fund received a valid notice of intent, the fund will go, oh, okay, so this $100,000 now becomes accessible income in the super fund. We're going to take 15% contribution tax out of it. So $15,000 were taken out of the $100,000, and $85,000 were moved to pension phase as per Tony's request and account towards the taxable component. Now, after the financial year ends, for whatever the reason was, Tony finds out he failed the work test, so he's not able to claim that 100000 in the tax return as a deduction. Now, under normal circumstances, he could have gone back to the fund and lodged a variation um, to the original notice of intent um, and reduced the intended deduction amount from 100000 to $0.00. So the fund could refund the $15,000 tax they have taken uh, out of Tony's account. But we all know there's a catch, right, with the uh, notice of intent. The moment Tony commands the pension, commands the income stream, he loses the ability to go back to the fund uh, to vary the notice of intent for good. So it's kind of disastrous, isn't it, Craig? Um, Tony will have breached the non-concessional contribution cap by $100,000 and a $15,000 tax were taken out of the $100,000 by the super fund and the remaining $85,000 is kept in the funding pension phase as a part of the taxable component. It, to me, it's just um, really disastrous. No, oh, uh, well, I think you know, it gets worse before it gets worse because yeah. not only all of that, he also doesn't get to claim a tax deduction. So he's got to pay tax on that $100,000 worth of income that he would have previously been able to, you know, have a deduction to apply against. So, yeah, it's a disaster on all rounds. And, and, and you comment there that everyone knows that you can't vary down your deduction notice once you've commenced a pension. Actually, not everyone knows that. That's actually a reasonably common mistake. So people actually go and make their contributions and then they go and start their pension. And that's going to be a lot of the time with these new rules between 67 and, and 75 that no, no longer is there a work test. They're going to make a contribution and they're going to jump it and whack it straight into an account-based pension. If they then want to claim a tax deduction for that, um, let's say they've already provided their notice and then it gets denied because Tony didn't go and work as Santa Claus. Um, in that situation, well, they deny the deduction, but you can't vary the notice down. So the ATO, sorry, the Superfund keeps the 15, well, the, the Superfund doesn't keep the $15,000. It's paid that to the ATO. We can't vary that. So we can't refund the $15,000, right? And uh, we've got an excess non-concessional contribution and we have to pay tax on $100,000 in our own hands that we thought we we're going to have a deduction to offset. So yep. a real disaster there. So uh, have you got any suggestions to avoid this potential disaster? Yeah. So uh, for people who's under age 75, they're not worried about reaching the upper age limit. Um, 
just wait, right? Just wait until the mid-work test in that financial year. So obviously, we're talking about the people making contribution above age 67, but a bit under 75. Just wait until they meet the work test. So it's a certain, um, you know, they, they, they have a high possibility of claiming this as a deduction. Then they can make that personal contribution as intended, um, uh, rather than make the contribution first and, and wait and meet the work test. And what if people like Tony, they are reaching the upper age limit, um, they, they can't wait, right? So what they can do is to uh, do the contribution before reaching the upper age limit, but don't lodge the notice of intent and don't commence the income stream as planned until the work test is completed. Um, I suppose that can minimize the risk to some degree. Let's have a look at some uncertainties around the work test itself. So to make the work test, we all know that a client must be gainfully employed for at least 40 hours in 30 consecutive days, right? So the, the 40 and 30 kind of rule is the, is the way I remember it. Now, the de definition of being gainfully employed here, um, that can be a little bit uncertain, can't it? I completely agree with you, Craig. Um, although uh, there's a shift from the super law for contribution purposes to the tax law for claiming a contribution as a deduction. But the definition of uh, gainfully employed did not change. It's still exactly what you mentioned earlier, uh, to be gainfully employed for at least 40 hours in any consecutive 30-day period to be able to meet the work test. So, it makes sense um, to, 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 to revisit the uncertainties already there, right? So if we're dealing with a ordinary scenario, someone is an employee, um, including being employed by their related company or related trust, they receive a salary or wages, and it's a beauty is they have a copy of the pain slip that says how many hours they work per week or per fortnight. That's quite clear. They're gainfully employed. And the working hours stated on the payslip can support whether or not they meet the work test. So perhaps no argument there. And then if a client is self-employed to uh, what is self-employed, that's sole trader uh, running a business or partner in a partnership that runs a business, they're not able to employ themselves. So they're self-employed people. However, the way they lodge the tax return, they got to declare the gross gross uh, profit and expenses associated with business, that's kind of um, clear enough to say whether or not mm -hmm. they get fully employed. But what if the situation is a client actually takes a leave, either paid or not paid leave, um, and they're not required to be physically in the office, they either get paid if they are, you know, taking paid leave or not get paid at all, but still employed by the employer. Um, are they gainfully employed? And, and to make things even more um, complicated, what if a client works for family trust or company? They could be employee, but they're not. Uh, instead, they just receive a higher amount of dividends or family trust distribution, but that's not salary or wages. So what are those scenarios? I mean, it can cause some uncertainties. Okay, well, okay. So let, let's look at you know leave first. Yeah. Have the the regular they've they've said something about this in the past, haven't they? 
Yeah, they said it in the past uh, ages ago, but unfortunately, there's nothing public um, in recent days. Uh, if uh, if we look at both regulators, because the definitions are the same, right? APRA was the regulator for a uh, big fund and uh, ATO has been the regulator for some many super fund anyway. And going forward would be the regulator um, to administer the work test going forward. So we needed to look at what they said in the past, but they said very little in this state, in this space. So APRA actually came out in the previous um, the, uh, guidance in the SPG 270, they made it quite clear. And they said, okay, if um, someone's employed, has employment contract, and whether they take paid or unpaid leave, during the period that they take leave, they're still fully employed. Um, that shocked the industry a bit, <laughs> but that's what they said. Unfortunately, they removed that paragraph from the previous version of this guidance and they issued a new guidance, but they did privately confirm with the industry that it's still their view that taking leave paid or unpaid uh, would mean that the person still gainfully employed. It's just there's nothing we can point to if anyone wants a reference from APRA. It's absolutely nothing, nothing current. How about ATO? ATO has not, uh, never, to my knowledge, has never published anything um, publicly, but they did confirm privately uh, through a non-binding um, channel uh, what they said very, very similar to APRA. So uh, the ATO implied uh, similarly, uh, if someone is gainfully employed uh, as a uh, ordinary or, or common law employee, and there is an employment contract that specifies um, the ordinary work hours the individual is required to work, then uh, either the person uh, take leave paid or unpaid uh, would mean that the person is still gainfully employed. So based on those comments, um, we think we think um, that a period of a paid or unpaid leave uh, taken in the ordinary course of employment and where the individual's ordinary working hours would be at least 40 hours in the 30 consecutive day period, uh, most likely um, this person uh, could satisfy the work test. Uh, it's just, okay. we just don't know whether ATU will yeah. come up later yeah. and say something different. <laughs> Yeah, so fingers crossed, you know, they sort of kind of apply the same rationale as APRA previously. And as, as long as you're on the books as an employee and uh, you would be required to work, you know, 40 hours within 30 consecutive days, um, the fact that you're taking unpaid leave shouldn't be an issue, but we just have to have that confirmed. So what about receiving passive distributions, uh, you know, from a related entity while you're actually working for the entity? I would have thought that's passive investment income and in that situation, you can't be gainfully employed. I completely agree with you, Craig. And I think everyone would um, agree with you, uh, at least in the past, until the ATO released the, the crackle case study on their website, right? So um, um, a little bit background information here. So under normal circumstances, um, a, a small business uh, operated through a trust or company, and if a client is working for that small entity, Generally speaking, um, they would be employed by that entity and receive a salary or wages in return for their personal exertion. In that situation, it's quite clear. Clients, uh, uh, client would be uh, fully employed. But 
What if a client worked for the business、um, but not employed and merely receive a trust distribution of dividends from a company as a shareholder? And we all thought, you know, in that situation, those distribution would be passive investment income, and there's no way an individual could be seen as gainfully employed. Now, the ATO released a case study. It's called a critical case study in the past. So a bit context here. That's to assist the trustees of self-managed super fund when deciding whether a member's gainful employment arrangement has ceased、uh, for meeting the retirement condition or release purposes. So in this case study of characters, Charlie. So Charlie used to work for the family trust as an employee. And all of a sudden, that employment arrangement was terminated, and Charlie is no longer employee of the trust. So there's a termination, and over age sixty. So it sounds like Charlie has made a conditional release, right? But the ATO said. It's extremely unusual for a business like Crackle, like the trust, to allow someone to be involved in the、uh, running the business and work for the business、uh, without a agreement or understanding in place. So the ATO says,、uh, in Charlie's、uh, situation. Charlie's work actually、uh, has led to increase in the business、uh, turnover, and as a result, the business, the trust, is able to make large trust distribution to Charlie. So the tax、um, commissioner, the ATO, has taken a view that because of this,、um, it, in their view, Charlie is still gainfully employed. And that gainful employment arrangement、uh, has not come to an end, and therefore Charlie was not able to satisfy a conditional release. Now,、oh, it's the same gainful employment definition. So if we apply the rules of ATO's comment, does that mean that client in Charlie's situation work for this related entity,、uh, merely receiving passive investment,、uh, sorry, passive distribution from the trust or、uh, or, or, or company,、uh, could it be gainfully employed for meeting the work test purposes, and therefore is able to claim a tax deduction for personal contributions made?、Um, it's unclear <laughs> at this stage、uh, until ATO、yeah. clarifies it. Yeah, I think it'd be an interesting argument. I mean,、uh, this whole crackle case study was, I think, purely designed at, let's say, someone with a transition to retirement pension that these days is not in the retirement phase.、Um, and what it was about was people artificially contriving、um, an arrangement where they've terminated an arrangement of gainful employment after turning sixty. So therefore, you can satisfy the retirement condition of release, and then you can go and notify your fund that you are that you are now retired, and so they can then convert your transition to the retirement income stream from not being in the retirement phase to being in the tax-free retirement phase.、Um, so what they were really doing is attacking that, saying if you've gone and entered into some sort of contrived arrangement there, then we're going to look through that and assume that you are still working. So on the flip side, if you're going to take that view, Mr. ATO, does that mean that we could actually qualify for claiming a tax deduction? On exactly that basis, but here I would imagine that we might have a problem with that in terms of justifying it, and that comes back to the practical issues in terms of how the ATO is going to administer this work test. So、uh, let's go through that, and we'll come back to that the crackle case study later on and say where it's going to probably cause a few question marks to be asked. So, do you want to how, go through how the ATO will actually administer the work test? 
Yeah, sure, Craig. So let's have a look up until uh, the end of the current financial year. Uh, uh, the super fund uh, has been relying on uh, the members' work test declaration to accept a voluntary super contribution, right? It's not possible for the super fund to, uh, to, to prove or look at the record whether or not that the declaration was true. Um, so um, they just rely on the members' declaration. But going forward, that declaration will no longer be made to the super fund. It will be made to the ATO. And think about it, the ATO would have a really great visibility of the income declared in the client's uh, individual tax return or their related entity tax return. Um, so, uh, and then for, for, for the clearer um, situations, um, we think uh, for ordinary employee, if they declare the work test to claim a deduction to the ATO, the ATO probably will be looking for uh, whether or not there's a salary, wages, allowances, reportable fringe benefits, or reportable super. For the self-employed associate, uh, most likely the ATO will look for uh, information whether or not this person has a personal service income or whether uh, the person has included anything in the business and the professional item schedule uh, that you know, atomize the profit and expenses in the individual tax return. Now, for the partner of a partnership that runs a business, uh, the partnership needs to lodge a separate return. So the ATO might be uh, cross um, uh, check check might be cross checking the the partnership return and uh, look for uh, the partnerships. Uh, profit and expenses and the distributions made to this particular partner. So that's quite clear. Um, but, you know, there are situations, as you mentioned earlier, Craig, what if um, the person take unpaid leave, right? And then they might be gainfully employed, they might be satisfying the work test, uh, but there's nothing showing, nothing reported. And what if someone in Craig's situation mm. right they um they only receive the passive trust distribution or dividends from related company and there's no business income what what does it mean right yeah so, yeah, yeah. I, th I think that's interesting is it because i think if you're on unpaid leave um fingers crossed that the, the ato applies what the apra used to do and you could just simply say oh no no it's a, he's he's evidence that you know I'm under an employment arrangement um, and I'm just not working at the moment because I'm on unpaid leave. You've got documents there to support that, right? So that might just be a call from the ATO and you go, here, here's the evidence. Whereas if it's someone in like in a crack or case study situation, say, oh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm receiving trust distributions uh, and because of the crack or case study on your website, I'm gainfully employed. That's probably going <laughs> to not be met with such a, such a enthusiasm by the ATO, I'd suggest, and, and take into account that anything on their ATO website, it's not a ruling, it's not binding advice. So how would you try and apply that to say, yes, I'm gainfully employed? So it would be probably an aggressive kind of uh, approach to take. But anyway, it's, it's, it's going to raise a few questions, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Just to protect um, a client, um, for clients to protect themselves, especially in a critical situation, right? So yeah. probably it's um, um, uh, they, they should consider apply to the ATO for private ruling um, before uh, they go ahead and just declare the work test. Yeah. 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 Okay, so if I just summarize there, so, you know, we've obviously got the work test coming through. We need to be mindful these days that we don't need to actually satisfy the work test from the 1st of July 
onwards to actually make the contribution. So therefore, if we've got a client turning 67 or if I'm looking at all my clients, I want to identify those um, that are turning 67 in a year. Um, and if they're not able to satisfy the work test, I want them to make the contribution before they turn 67 because then I don't have to worry about any sort of work test at all. Otherwise, I've also just got to take in, into account that, you know, if we're going to be making contributions and claiming tax deductions for them, we do need to satisfy the work test by the end of the financial year. And therefore, if we've got clients making contributions and they're also doing non-concessional contributions and they're also starting pensions, there's lots of risks there. So really important to stop, sit down and make sure you time certain things to make sure you're not exposing the client to a risk of actually not being able to claim the tax deduction, having an excess contribution um, and, and, you know, just having all of the contributions tax apply. Um, and also keep in mind that if you are going to be satisfying the work test, um, you know, after 67, um, in those kinds of situations, you need to think about how the ATA is going to administer that. And so if you are in one of these unusual types of situations where, you know, you may be employed but actually not receiving any salary or wage income that year because you've been on unpaid leave, you can expect a question from the ATA, I would suggest. Um, on that note, we'll probably wrap it up there. Thanks, Linda. Thanks, Craig. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the First Tech Podcast. Please note these podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors as a source of general information. All scenarios considered during this podcast were purely hypothetical and for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. You should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decisions and once again consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be accurate and reliable, no person, including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited, accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.